Good morning. Once again, as we always say, we're here to worship God and center our hearts and minds upon Him. No, who created us, but blesses us every day. We live on this earth as His children, and for that we're always ever thankful. This morning we want to ask a question, and the question is based upon the hymn that we just got through singing. And the question we want to ask is this, and we're going to turn the title around two words just for the moment, and that asks the question still, it is well with my soul. We're going to ask it this way, is it? Well, with my soul. Each child of God should ever be able to explain to anyone whether or not it is well with their soul. When they look at their lives, when they look at the things they've been doing, the things they are engaged in as they compare those things to the Word of God, they will know for a surety whether or not they're following the teachings of Jesus Christ. And one of the things that becomes abundantly clear to us, the Word of God is an encouragement to every child of God to live as they should. And each time that we stand to preach, or each time we're in a class, each time we read the Word of God, the, the faithful child of God from that Word recognizes the fact that he has peace in his life, as long as he is aligned to the teachings and the workings of the Word of God. He knows it is well with his soul. But at the same time, that same Word exhorts to those who are not children of God. It exhorts and pleads with them that the only way they'll ever have peace in their life whatsoever is through the plan of God that is given to mankind through His Son, Jesus Christ, to wash away our sins by that blood He shed on Calvary. Let's notice what it means to be at peace or well with your soul. The first four verses of 3 John gives us a grand example. John writing simply says this, To the elder, to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth, Beloved, I pray that all may go well with you, and that you may be in good health as it goes well with your soul. For I rejoice greatly when the brothers came and testified to your truth, as indeed you are walking in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in truth. Notice in that reading that John says unto Gaius, I am glad to hear that you are in good health. I am glad to hear through maybe the travels Gaius had been, we're not really sure where all he may have traveled in that world of that day and time, as treacherous as it could be at times to travel. John said to him, I'm glad your health is still good. That from that you'll be able to preach to others, that you've been an example unto others in that respect because of their good health. But notice what else John says when he compares his physical health to his spiritual health. And he said, all may go well with you that you may be in good health as it goes well with your soul. Noticed in that, John says unto Gaius, I'm thankful that you as a child of God has good spiritual health. In essence, he was saying to this young man, as we just got through singing, it is well with your soul. 
because you are walking as a child of God, the Word of God as He dictates to us. You are walking according to it, and we know it by the way you're living your life. Therefore, it is all is well with your soul. We've got through singing that wonderful hymn. The story behind it is a tragedy. But yet at the same time, it's been an encouragement to anyone who's ever sang to him all through the years. When it asks the question, it makes the statement, is it well with my soul? Let's focus on that for a moment. First of all, have you ever felt out of control? In one way or another, everybody can just about say at one time or another in my life, yes, that is true, I have been out of control. There are no worse feelings in all of the world there is to be out of control. Especially when the emotions are running amok, as we would say. When you have no control over them, they're controlling you. In that moment, you don't have any idea what's really going because you're so emotionally gone for the moment that you're out of control mentally and physically. There's no worse feeling than that. Everyone hates being out of control, no matter what it may be. One example is this. A lot of people don't like to fly. Why? They're not in control. They don't like the idea of sitting in that passenger seat, letting someone else take this giant piece of metal off the ground and fly it through the skies. They would rather be in the cockpit themselves doing so. Bring it closer to home. How many spouses feel out of control when they're not driving the car? (laughs) they had rather have the will than the spouse. We all understand it. We realize we don't like being out of control or feeling such. But we realize there are times when life can get out of control. That life itself can put us in a position that we feel out of control and we don't know what we can do to bring it back in or reel it in, as we might say. We can look at it and say, perhaps things are not going well on the job. Things are not going as we like for them to, and it makes us feel like we're out of control because we're not able to kind of help reel in what's going on around us, and we find ourselves caught up in it, and we can't do anything about it. Perhaps we've even had family members who've made bad choices that's kind of gotten out of control, and we're trying to help them. We're not sure how can we reel this in. How can we get things back to where it should be? How can we help them get things back to normal? In other words, how do you feel when you're out of control? How do you feel? The thing we need to remember is this. This is the one thing that we tend to overlook when we find ourselves out of control, where it's mentally because of emotions or physically or whatever, that we forget this one thing. God is in control. God is in control. When we look at such passages, it's the third verse of the first chapter of Hebrews, where it simply says that He upholds the universe by the word of His power. Notice that was written hundreds of years ago, but the Hebrew writer writes it in the present tense. He is still to this day upholding this universe by the word of His power. In other words, the Hebrew writer begins this marvelous book by telling us God is still in control. Look again at the book of Colossians. We'll turn to chapter 1. 
down to verse 16 and 17. There the Apostle Paul writes, by, For by Him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through Him and for Him, and He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. Again, the Apostle Paul emphasized the fact, still in the present tense, that even as a time he was writing, and as we centuries later read this, still says the same thing, at this moment, God is still upholding all things by the word of His power. So we need to remind ourselves at times, God is in control. God is in control. One of the most beautiful passages that brings this to mind is found in the 40th chapter of the book of Isaiah. Beginning with verse 20, he says, Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the Creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint nor grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint. And to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youth shall faint and be weary. The young men shall fall exalted, but they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Isaiah said this centuries way back, we might say. But notice, it's still in the present tense. It's still letting us know, even from then to now, as we read Isaiah, this 40th chapter, what is, God is still in control. And He's still able to help every one of us when we find ourselves look like we're being out of control. And the way He does it is the fact He can bring peace to our lives that we do not understand. When we let God take control, when we ask for God's help, says, I'm losing it, God, I need help, bring me in, help me, control, help me in this situation. We know He will take care of it, as Isaiah just said, and one thing we don't have to worry about, we don't have to have all the answers. We know that He will take care of all. It also means God will take care of the choices others have made. They may have brought our lives in that place of being un- un- a matter of un- being out of control. It means simply this. Put it in language we all understand. Regardless of what happens to me in my life, God will take care of me if I seek Him first. Is that not what the Master meant in Matthew 6.33? Yes. We need to have every day, when we arise and when we face each day, we need to have the attitude of the Apostle Paul as he wrote to his brethren at Philippi. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. What was Paul telling us? Paul says, God is in control. God is in control. So do not worry. So one thing you must ask, is it well with my soul? First of all, is God in control? 
The second thing we must look at when we ask that question is we've got to remind ourselves all things work together for good. We're familiar with Romans 8.28 because we have used this verse several times in the last month or two when it says we know that for those who love God all things work together for good for those who are called according to His purpose. We read that verse and we know it and we understand it and we believe it. But yet here's the problem at times. We have a hard time seeing something good in a bad situation. We just cannot grasp the fact there's something going to good come out of this no matter what. We just cannot see it because it's easy for us to focus on what? The bad things. That ain't the case. We would have no news in the evening, would we? Because they wouldn't spend very long on the good things. We focus on that which is wrong. We focus on things that are going bad. And every one of us at one time or another have found ourselves worrying about problems that don't even exist. We've already made them up in our mind. We've already worried about something that hadn't even happened. That's us. We need to realize that no matter what happens to us, God says good will come out of it. One of the most prime examples of this would have to be a man by the name of Joseph. His brother's hatred for him is well known to all of us. They were going to kill him. But Judah talked them out of it, and they end up selling him as a slave to be carried off down into Egypt. We know the whole story about it that he was lied about sent to prison in a, in a place in Egypt, a, a prison. He rose up within the prison as we well know. We know the story, but what the best part of it is at the very end, when he had finally revealed himself to his brothers and told him, I am your brother that you sold years ago. And you meant it for bad. You were glad to get rid of me. You wanted me out of the house, out of your life, because of your jealousy and hatred toward me. But notice what he says in Genesis 50 and verse 20. As for you, talking to his brothers, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive even as they are today. Notice through that as Joseph rose up, he became the second command of Egypt, taking care of them seven years of plenty, told Pharaoh what he needed to do. Hey, they did it, and what happened? Oh, well, they feed themselves. They were able to feed the world at that day and time through those seven lean years. But notice what Joseph said. You meant all this for evil to me. You wanted me out of the way. God meant it for good. Meant it for good. And what could we say about our Lord? We could read the four Gospels and we could talk about this all day. John summed it up right when he began to remind us that he was rejected and despised by his own countrymen. They had no use for him. The hark of the Jews hated him from day one. They tried everything they could think of to trap and destroy him. And they finally did, in their mind. When he put him before Pilate, to have him crucified and died and get and put him away. Those evil men of that day and time, many for evil, they wanted him out of their lives. 
He was destroying their thing. He was destroying the way they had things going. They, it was good for them. They didn't want it interrupted by this fellow coming along and teaching these things. They destroyed him in their mind. But we know God raised him up. God raised him up. And the good from it, salvation available to every living human being. By that blood that was shed on Calvary. Man meant it for evil. But God turned it around and says it is good. All things work together for good because God gives us something through these bad times that the world does not understand nor take away. In Romans 8, Paul asked a series of questions. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, or sword? As is written, he continues, For your sake we are being killed all the day long. We regard as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. What did He just tell us? No matter what bad things we feel like may happen to us, these things will work together but good because of one grand thing. Nothing, no matter how bad it might be in our lives, nothing can separate us from the love of God. Do we comprehend that? Do we really fully grasp the idea that nothing is, is you know, no tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, naked, sword, none of these things? can ever separate us from the love of God. Is it well with your soul? If it is, if you're seeing the bad things turning around to become good in your life, it's well with your soul. The thing we want to ask ourselves to make sure it's well with our soul is this, troubles are just temporary. The old spiritual from way back years ago proclaims all God's children's got troubles. Everyone has troubles in life. I don't think we'll ever meet another human being in all the world ever says, I never had a day of trouble. There's no such person. We have disagreements. We're friends and family and loved ones. There's a shortage of finances. There's the debt. Some have the most basic of problems of hunger and nakedness and lack of shelter. Some have to deal with diseases. And we all have to deal with death. But our problem, though, becomes how do we cope with these troubles? How do we cope with them? The answer is found in the Word of God. In 1 Corinthians 4, beginning with verse 16, the Apostle Paul said to his brethren, So we do not lose heart. How come, Paul? Though our outward self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, 
but the things that are unseen are eternal. Paul just said what we said a moment ago. All God's children's got trouble. But those troubles are only temporary. They're only temporary. The best part of this is found in the latter part of the book of Revelation. In chapter 21 and verse 4 there, John says, He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be any mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. Troubles are temporary. Our life, we must realize on this earth, is temporary. And knowing that fact, and realizing that fact, and living by that fact, gives us peace of knowing that what happens to us only lasts for a moment in time, and it will go away. James, as he began this marvelous epistle, beginning in verse 2, said, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. Why, James? For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Your faith, as it grows, sustains. That's the reason why we're able to get through life, because we understand and realize that our temper, our problems are only here for a time and they will go away. They're not going to last forever. The hope within every child of God is knowing when this life is over, on the other side, there will be nothing like we have on earth in pain and sorrow and tears. It will not be in heaven. It will be a place of joy that is unspeakable. So troubles are temporary. Is it well with us so? It is because salvation is available for all of us. I know it's been said before or asked before in your mind to consider this, but we need to do so once in a while to sort of remind us of a few things. Could we consider what this world would be like if there was no possibility of having salvation? Could we just imagine for a moment what, what the world would be like? The first thing we'd have to realize, there would be not one ounce of hope in any living human being. None whatsoever. There would not be any. There also added that would, no be, would be no reason to want to live. Because nothing to live for. And there definitely would be no peace no comfort when it comes to dying. It would be a world of horror. But we know salvation is available to all. That's why God sent His Son. That's why Jesus died on the cross of Calvary. We know salvation is available and available to all. First Timothy 4 and 10, there Paul writes, For to this end toil and strive, because we have our hope set on the living God, who is the Savior of all people, especially of those who believe. Those who have obeyed Him, the offering of salvation. In 1 John 2 and 20, He reminds us, for He is a propitiation for our sins, but not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. 
He died in our place. Chapter 4 and 14 of that same first John says, We have seen and testified that the Father has sent His Son to be what? The Savior of the world. Notice within that statement that salvation is available to everyone, not just to a limited few, not the so-called elect, but it's available to every living human being. Is it well with your soul? Salvation is available to all who have not obeyed the gospel of God. The result of all of this is sewn up in the one word called victory. Here's a silly question for a moment. But it's one to make you think, do you like to win? I don't know of anybody who goes through life saying, well, I like being the loser. No, we want to win. It's confidence. It makes you feel good all over to knowing that I've won, I've won something. How do you feel when you're watching the football game now that's beginning to start in the fall season? Your team is winning. Yes. <laughs> We're all excited because we know our team's going to win. That clock is ticking now. We know it's over. We have won the game. There's excitement about it. There's peace of mind to each of us comes when we are winning. We like it. It makes us feel good. It don't feel good to be a loser. It feels good to be a winner and be remembered as such. Does the Bible teach us that it's His children that we are winners? Does the Bible tell us that Christians are winners? What about 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty seven? But thanks be to God who gives us the what? The victory. Through whom? Through our Lord Jesus Christ. What about First John 5 and 4? For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world. Our faith. Our faith. And if you don't think we're going to win... When all that goes to life, no matter how bad it may become, how things are going down around us, and we find our time elipsed, living a time that's like God's been forgotten and shoved off and gone away from, remember this, read the book of Revelation. That book is summed up in this. We win. That's all that book tells us. And all of that language that people said, I can't understand, it boils down to this. We win. In chapter 17, verse 14, it says this, They will make war on the Lamb, and the Lamb will conquer them, for He is Lord of lords and King of kings, and those who with Him are called chosen and faithful. We win. That's it. The victory is ours. If it is well with our soul. That's the key. With that, we can have peace of mind. We can have peace of mind. It is well with my soul because God is in control. All things work together for good. Trouble is only temporary. Salvation is for all and the end result is victory. 
This peace, though, is only available to those who are God's children. That's the key. If you're not a child of God, you don't have these promises. You don't have these assurances. It's called as long as you're living in the world and under the leadership of Satan, he does not care about you or your problems or your troubles. He just has no care in him whatsoever. If you sink and die, so what? But to have the peace to get you through these days, the peace that gets you through life only comes through the Lord Jesus Christ. And only comes when you're buried with Him in baptism and raised to walk that new life. That victory that comes by obeying Him. That victory overcoming Satan and begin to this day forward to walk with the God of heaven who created you, who loves you, and who cares for you, and who will help you through every storm of life. Nothing can separate you from that love. But this morning, if you're a child of God who knows, once knew what it was, but realized in your life this day and hour, sin in your life, you've gone back into the world, you've let worldness take a hold of you and pull you away from God, you become an enemy of God because of the way you're living your life, you don't have peace because you've left the source of it. You've gone back into the world where there is no peace. The Father's saying, come home. Come with a repentant heart and mind and I will forgive and evermore forget it. And once again, you'll be walking on that road that leads to heaven and the road of knowing from this day forward, it is now well with my soul because I've made it right with my God. While together we stand here while we sing.